Good morning, it's Pastor Eric Sorensen, pastor at Hillside Church, contributor to 1517, husband to Missy and father to Jude, John and Lincoln, and a bunch of other things. But today I am here to once again go with you through a passage of scripture and seek to find where God's two words of law and gospel are in each and every passage we go through. This week we're going to be looking at the epistle text for this upcoming Sunday's lectionary. But before we do that, before we dive into the passage, uh, I want to just bring your memory back, at least if you're anywhere around my age, to a time maybe around elementary school in which you experienced what it was like to be chosen or for that matter to be passed over. Uh, one of those times that happened to me uh, was on the playground playing dodgeball. When I was a kid in elementary school, Indeed, every recess, every lunch, there was always a dodgeball game. And uh, usually what would happen is right at the beginning of recess, the team captains, usually self-anointed, two of them, would line everybody up that wanted to play and they would pick uh, from best to worst the people that they wanted on their team. Now, thankfully, most of the time I was chosen to be on a team, but there were times in life where I certainly knew what it was like to not be chosen. And I remember seeing friends of mine that weren't chosen as well and the way that that could have an impact on somebody. In fact, all of us have experienced the sting of rejection, the sting of being passed over, the sting of not being chosen and feeling like we're inadequate, feeling a sense of great rejection and of course, insecurity. Well, if you've ever felt like that, whether it had to do with something like dodgeball or whether it has to do with being rejected by someone that you uh, were quite fond of or being rejected for a job promotion or whatever the case may be, the passage that we have before us today is one of immense comfort. It comes from Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 through 14, and I want to direct your attention there now as we dive into this week's Law and Gospel devotional. Now you'll notice the first bubble in the screen here is marked chosen, and that's because it really is all about chosenness. It is really much more than some good news that John Krasinski, you know, produced a show called that, especially during the early days of the pandemic. It's much more than some good news. It's incredibly uh, rich with good news. As a matter of fact, there's not a hint really of any bad news in this passage. It comes to us from Ephesians chapter one, verses three through 14. It reads like this, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, 
we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Man, oh man, this is a passage chock full of good news because it declares to us that God is in the business of choosing much more so than Oprah could ever hope to do with her studio audience when she was giving away all sorts of prizes and goodies. God is in the business of choosing people, predestining people in this passage, and man, that is incredibly reassuring. Let's dive in to see why it is it is so reassuring. Indeed, the passage is all good news, and let's try and dissect it like Elliot at least hoped to do with his frog in E.T. Uh, first of all, who's doing the verbs in the passage? Well, all three persons of the Trinity are involved in doing the verbs here. In verses 4 through 6, you have a focus on what the Father is doing. In verses 12, 7 through 12, you have a focus on what the Son has done. And in verses 13 and 14, you have a focus on what the Spirit has done or is doing. This is very purposeful. There are no members of the Trinity that are not actively involved in your salvation. They're all Active, active participants in this. They're all doing the verbs. They're all acting on our behalf for our good. Now, what do we receive, quote, in Christ that we find in this passage? Well, it begins, Paul says, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Well, that sure sounds like a lot of spiritual blessing. Let's denote some of those things that we see describes those spiritual blessings in our passage. First of all, we're, we're told that we're chosen to be holy and blameless. Now, some commentators will read that and interpret it to mean that we're chosen to live holy and blameless lives. But contextually, I don't think that that's what this is talking about. It's abundantly clear that every part of the passage is God doing the verbs, and of course, None of us in and of ourselves will ever be truly blameless until we finally meet him in the heavenly realm. And so what I think this is talking about is the scriptural concept of imputation, that we have been chosen in Christ and declared to be holy and blameless, even though in this body we will still go on struggling with sin and difficulty. Nevertheless, God has chose us in Christ to be holy and blameless. That's found in verse 4. We're told in verse 5 that we have been therefore adopted as his sons and daughters into his kingdom. We're told that the reason this has happened is because we have been redeemed, bought back with the blood of Christ as he's propitiated the Father's wrath against sin on the cross. You hear that in verse 7. We're told also in verse 7 that we have been forgiven of all of our trespasses, that none of them are to be held against us anymore, that they are, as the psalmist says, thrown as far as the east is from the west, that we have obtained an inheritance. And remember, we're talking about an inheritance from a king that owns all things. And verse 13 tells us that we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Indeed. Right, Scott, that is a lot of free stuff. That is true, Dr. Brown, you are correct. 
Now, how do we obtain all of these free things, all of these blessings that are spoken of? Well, verse 4 says that we were chosen to obtain those blessings from the foundation of the world. Verse 5 says that we were predestined to obtain these blessings from the foundation of the world. Why? Because he has lavished his grace on us. The word for lavish there is like a super abundant amount of grace he has given to us so that we might obtain those blessings, verses 7 and 8. Because he made known to us the mystery of his will through his preached word, we obtain these blessings. Now, this is where the gifts that God has planned for us from all eternity past are now coming to us in the present. It comes to us from a preached word, from a preacher declaring these truths to us. They are then gifted to us in, in, in a sense in which we can actually, um, it's like a real thing for us. It's not, not theoretical. It's something that we now possess. And because in our baptism, we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, we have obtained these blessings. Verse 13. Now, you might be saying, wait, 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 wait. Uh, I'm following your exegetical sauce here. I'm, I'm digging into it. I like the flavor of it, but you just mentioned baptism and I don't really see it in the passage. Where do you see baptism? Well, let me quote from the Lutheran Study Bible real quick to give you a sense of what, what the word seal means in scripture as we're told we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. And then let me give you a little more biblical clarity as to why I believe the seal of the Holy Spirit is in fact baptism. Lutheran Study Bible says this, a seal marked ownership. The word was used for a wax seal on a scroll. You can find some examples of that in John 3 and Revelation 5. Also for a brand on an animal or a tattoo on a slave or soldier. In the Old Testament, of course, God sealed Cain to protect him. That's found in Genesis 4. And circumcision, and this is really important for the case I'm making here, circumcision sealed the Israelites as God's people. You can find that in Genesis 17, verse 11. God's seal, of course, also marks all those in heaven that we find in Revelation. A seal leaves its image through baptism. The promised spirit makes us his dwelling. In other words, if you've been baptized, the case I'm making to you is you have been sealed. If you have been baptized, you have been sealed. Now, let me give you a further exegetical breakdown of why I say that. Romans 4.11, speaking of Abraham, says this. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal. Same word that we find in our passage. Of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Now, let's... What is the New Testament circumcision that acts as a sign to seal us? What is the New Testament's version of circumcision? There is one, just as the New Testament's Passover meal is the Lord's Supper. The New Testament's circumcision, according to Colossians 2, is baptism. Listen to verses 11 and 12. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Where, Paul? Where, where? Oh, where did that happen? Having been buried with him in baptism. 
in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So folks, when Paul says in Ephesians 1 that you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, signed and delivered, guaranteed that you're going to receive what God has done for you in Christ, I believe, based on the rest of Scripture, that you can be certain you've got that seal if you've received baptism. Now, let's go ahead and move on to the next passage here. <clears throat> what is God's motivation? Well, in a sense, it's actually pretty easy, verses 4 and 5, because of his love for us. I know that that seems almost cliche. It seems almost too easy, but folks, it really is that easy. God says his motivation for doing all this stuff for us is because of his great love for us. And, and it's out of a desire to bring all things together under him, verse 10. Now, a major theme in the letter to the Ephesians is that God in the gospel has found a way to bring both Jews and Gentiles together, to unite people that have historically been at war and been at odds with each other. God does all these things in order to break down the walls of hostility. And finally, he does all these things to receive all the glory. Now, I don't think that God's primary motivation is like, I, it's not because he's like a glory hog, okay? What it is, is he doesn't want any human being thinking that they are responsible themselves for their salvation. No, 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 no. God wants you to know it's all me from start to finish. I deserve all the glory for this. It's all gift. It's all me doing the verse. All right, so obviously a passage filled with good news, but the question is, where in the world is the law? After all, the title and contention of this series of devotions is that the scriptures have two words, law and gospel. And the fact is, there just doesn't seem to be any law in this passage at all. I mean, it seems that it's just good news after good news after good news. Now, that does happen sometimes. You are going to have passages where it's just either good news or it's going to be seem like nothing but law. It's going to seem like nothing but condemnation or threat. Um, that's going to happen sometimes. And so the question comes up, what do you do when you come across a passage that seems to be only law or only gospel? Well, you have to remember that passages always have implicit law or implicit gospel in the text itself. Here's what I mean. The key is to always read every passage with an eye to the broader context of the entire story of Scripture. Just like when we read a book, we don't want to just isolate one passage and then decide that's what the whole book is about. We don't want to do that with the Bible either. We always want to read a passage. We want to read God's word in light of the broader narrative. In this passage, we have phenomenal declarations of what God has done for us. But we also have to ask the question, why did God have to do such things for us? Ah, and now you're getting to the law. Because we were not naturally holy and blameless at all. We were unholy. We were unredeemed. We were spiritual orphans, not adopted, much like our character from the Queen's Gambit here, which 
side note is a phenomenal show. We were condemned and we were dead in trespasses and sins. You see, even though the passage is declaring all sorts of good news to us, it doesn't mean that implicit behind even those declarations of good news of what God has done, that there isn't a reminder of why he had to do it. He had to do it because we needed saving. And that is what makes this passage such incredible news. Because in spite of your sins, this passage declares to us that God in his great love has chosen you. He has declared you to be holy and blameless. He has redeemed you. And in your baptism, he has sealed you, guaranteeing he will hold on to you till the final day. Whether it be his coming or whether it be our death, one way or the other, we're going to make it. The Spirit's going to ensure it. God the Father has done everything necessary to make it happen. And the Son has accomplished our redemption in his blood. And so take comfort. Those of you who have experienced the pain of being passed over, unchosen, not picked, this passage tells us that God in Christ has chosen you, and therefore you are deeply, deeply loved. I hope that blesses you today, and I hope you have a wonderful week and a wonderful beginning to 2021. We will see you next year. God bless.